Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and you're listening to the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast, a place for practical advice for women looking to balance their hormones, ditch dieting, and discover mindset shifts that will keep you motivated and empowered on your healthy eating journey. Are you ready to get started? Hey there and welcome back. My guest today is someone you probably already know. Her name is Martha McKittrick and she's a registered dietitian, certified diabetes educator, and a true pioneer in the field of PCOS nutrition. Martha has been practicing in New York City and virtually for 20 years and have contributed her expertise to both nutrition professionals and the general public through her lectures, private practice nutrition services, as well as published research articles about PCOS nutrition. Martha is on the health advisory board of the PCOS Challenge, and she plays an active role as a PCOS advocate as recently as last week during PCOS Awareness Day, where she met with congressmen and women to convey the importance of more funding for PCOS research. Martha shares her content and messaging about the importance of diet and lifestyle changes to heal PCOS on her blog, Instagram page, and Facebook page. And her messaging always, always aligns with my approach. So I'm really honored to have her here on the show today to talk about the connection between PCOS and inflammation. Let's go ahead and dive right in with Martha McKittrick. Hey there, Martha. Welcome to the show. Hey, Daphne. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. So I want to talk about inflammation today. I know you and I went back and forth a little bit discussing how this is such a confusing topic. There's a lot of misconceptions about it. So we're going to get it all sorted out today with your expertise. And I know my listeners are going to love this interview because you bring so much value and knowledge and experience. So before we dive into inflammation, can you introduce yourself and tell my listeners a little bit more? I'm sure they know you, but just in case they don't. Yes. Yeah, so uh, my name is Martha McKittrick and I'm a registered dietitian and also a certified diabetes educator. I'm in New York City, but I have a virtual practice and I've been specializing in PCOS for over 15 years. Um, and one of the biggest questions I get is, do you have PCOS? And no, I do not. But uh, I kind of just stumbled into the whole PCOS world, like I said, about 15 years ago. And I had my first patient who had it. And there just was very little known about it, especially at that time. And, you know, I did a lot of research and, you know, we, I figured out there was insulin resistance involved. And so long story short, that's been my main specialty. And um, I've worked with probably thousands of women who have PCOS and we've learned a lot. I mean, we have a lot more to go. Like we need to learn a lot more. But I think the interesting thing is that we now know there's just so much involved. You know, there's the gut microbiome, there's inflammation. We've known about insulin resistance for a long time, but now we know there's stress and, and endocrine disruptors. So I think there's just so much out there. And like, I'm very passionate about helping people who have PCOS. So I do that with my virtual practice. And I also have a website where I have a PCOS blog on there, where I have lots of different information and free downloads on my blog and I sell meal guides as well. I have an online course, which I launched about three times a year. It's a uh, seven week course. And I'm also in the process of writing a book on PCOS. So I have a lot of PCOS stuff going on. Wow, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's cool. 
So I'm sure you did a lot of research for the book and for your programs. And I do agree. I think with the benefit of knowing more about PCOS and research and finding out there are all these pieces, it's not just one thing. There's also a lot of confusion. So <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like a good thing, but also I think the, the woman who has PCOS or was recently diagnosed and may be looking for some answers may get a little overwhelmed with information. So I totally agree. And I always say, I think social media and the internet is, is a blessing and a curse. I think it's more of a blessing because now at least you can do your own research and you can be proactive in your, in your own health because you don't always get the right kind of care that you want from some medical professionals. So at least you can do your own research. But with that, it opens up the floodgates for information. And there's just so much conflicting information and misinformation and harmful information out there, it can literally drive you crazy. And, and I think that's one reason why there are much higher rates of eating disorders with PCOS because you're reading, you know, you can't have carbs, you have to go keto, you have to do intermittent fasting, everything has to be organic. You read everything, you just don't know what to do. And then you read about the PCOS types. And if you have this type, you can't do this and this type, you can't do that, which I know we're going to talk about. Yes. So I think definitely I agree with you. And one of those areas of really, really <laughs> extreme confusion is inflammation. I feel like that term is being thrown around all over social media for every single ache and pain. People, you know, directly go to inflammation and the gut and things like that. So I want to really get a science-based kind of evidence-based um, information from you today. But before that, let's talk about what general inflammation really is. Like what is real inflammation? Basically, it's a response from the immune system to protect your body from something that could cause harm. And it could be something like an infection, an injury or toxin. So basically your body's saying, hey, I sense a threat. There's something going on right now. So your body releases chemicals that trigger a response from the immune system. So it's a good thing. Like if we didn't have this, this kind of um, system going on, if we got sick, you know, we would die because we need it. So we need this inflammatory response. So I think people always think of it as being a bad thing. But um, but there's two kinds of inflammation. There's an acute kind and there's a chronic kind. And the acute kind is definitely good. Like for example, if you get a splinter in your finger or you cut your finger, it gets really red and hot and swollen. That's the immune system going to work in there trying to clear up that, that, um, that um, infection. And once it does its job, it shuts it off and your finger looks normal again. So that's acute and that's a good thing. When you're sick, you have an acute reaction. The problem is, is when it becomes chronic. And this is just when the, your immune system doesn't really shut down and you keep kind of secreting these chemicals and it's like you're in this hyperactive inflammatory mode and that's where damage could occur. Okay. So a little bit of it, short-term inflammation, good, meant to save our life, really. Otherwise, yep. we would probably bleed to death if we got yep. a cut or something like that. But long-term, we don't really want it to, to linger, which is what we see with PCOS, right? Yeah, with PCOS, uh, we now know that there tends to be a low-grade inflammatory process going on with PCOS. So it's not this, like, for most people, it's not this, like, major, major inflammatory process. It's a very low grade inflammatory process that oftentimes can't even be picked up on blood work, which I know we'll talk about in a few minutes, but so it's there and they believe it's one of the, the main features of PCOS and that it can actually drive PCOS. So 
here's, I think, where it gets a little confusing because a lot of times you'll read on um, the internet, there are the different types of PCOS. You know, there's an inflammatory type and a stress type and uh, an insulin resistance type. And yes, I do believe that there, I like to use the word drivers better. I don't like the word type because it puts you in a box. So I yes. like drivers. I think I think most people do have inflammation as a driver. You know, is it a major driver? Maybe not, but it's it's there probably on, under, you know, maybe under insulin resistance. But they do believe that it's a hallmark feature of PCOS. And uh, the problem with, with um, too much inflammation is that it can cause a lot of trouble with PCOS. It can worsen insulin resistance. It can worsen egg quality. It can lead to damage to uh, intestinal health. It can increase ovarian production of testosterone. Um, so that's specifically related to PCOS, but then just in general to overall health, uh, inflammation is also linked to many other diseases like heart disease, type two diabetes, fatty liver, autoimmune disease, and inflammatory bowel disease. So, so I'm not saying everybody with PCOS is at risk for those those diseases I just named, but there tends to be a low grade inflammation. Um, and another way you can look at it is, you know, you you might say, hey, well, do I have inflammation? Um, chances are, if you have high levels of androgens. Or, and or high levels of insulin, you do have some inflammation going on in your body because it's just all linked. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the types, you say, I don't want to like classify someone as this or that. It's more, and that could probably change over time. Like you could have more inflammation at certain points in your life and then not others. So it's more fluid. Like it's not like you're one type and that's it. It's more what's driving your symptoms and the hormonal imbalances at that particular time. And then you can be more specific in how you address it, right? hundred percent. And that's the whole thing. Um, that's why I like to use the red drivers because like you just said, it's fluid and it can change. I mean, if you have a period of time in your life when you get like no sleep and you're really, really stressed out and, um, you, you don't have time to do any exercise. And maybe at that point in your life, like stress is more of a driver and inflammation could be more of a driver. Uh, and maybe there are other times in your life, you know, maybe you go to college and you're eating pizza at 2 a.m. with your friends and, you know, you gain 20 pounds and, and maybe insulin resistance is more of a driver at that point. Not to say you caused your PCOS, you know, not to say yes. that, but, but it may be more insulin resistance is more of a driver. So it can change. Right. Yeah. So it's, I think it's really important to understand this and this goes along with being in tune with your body and really understanding what's going on. Sometimes, you know, we don't really listen. We don't take a look at our own symptoms. Um, and that's why I think reading off of the internet and trying to kind of retrofit some type of diet or eating plan to you may not work, right? It may yeah. just not fit. Yeah, I agree. And, and another thing is, so let's just say, and there's a lot of like quizzes online that you can take a quiz, right? And, it, and maybe the results would say, your type is inflammation or your type is insulin resistance. And let's just say your type is not inflammation. So does that mean that, oh, you don't need to be on an anti-inflammatory diet. So you can eat lots of like 
you know, corn oil and soybean oil and lots of red meat. And no, I, everybody with PCOS should be on an anti-inflammatory diet and lifestyle plan, whether you it's your type or not. So I, I almost don't even understand the benefit sometimes of taking those quizzes. Um, I think everybody should definitely be, be attuned to inflammation. Okay. Now, um, some so people more than others, you know, I will say some people have a lot of inflammation going on a hundred percent and other people, you may not even think you have any inflammation going on, but under the scenes, you probably do have some inflammation It's part of PCOS. So I know that lab work is not always that easy to get or helpful in those situations. It may not really pinpoint the, the level. It definitely can't quantify. It's something that's really hard to put a number on or some, or, you know, really understand the level of it. So how would someone go about discovering whether or not they are suffering from inflammation? I mean, you can, you can get blood work done, but like you said, I don't think it's that accurate. Um, the, the numbers I usually have people look at would be um, the HSCRP. Uh, that's a really common one. And they have done studies where they've shown that people with PCOS, whether you're lean or overweight, tend to have higher levels of CRP. Um, and, and they're not exactly sure why that is. One theory is, is that there's something about a PCOS fat cell, whether you're thin or not, that secretes more of these kind of um, like inflammatory chemicals. There's, so there's something about the PCOS fat cell. So um, yeah, you could get that checked, but even if it was normal, it doesn't mean you don't have inflammation. Um, and if it's really high, like I just had a client the other, the other day who had it tested and I forgot what the range was, but her number was like way, way, way above the range. And that to me is not low grade inflammation. Like that to me, there's something really going on. And I said to her, were you sick when you had the test done? She goes, oh my God, I was so sick. <laughs> so when you're really sick, you're going to have increased inflammatory markers. So if you get that test done, don't go when you're sick. <laughs> yes. You're going to get results are going to be off. Um, another one you could do is something called interleukin-6. Um, there's another one called, you could get your white blood cell count. And there's also one called erythrocyte sedimentation rate, ESR. Out of all those, I usually like to use the CRP the most and interleukin-6. But again, chances are your numbers might be normal. So would you cross-reference that with some symptoms and kind yes. of try to... Okay. 100%. Uh, 100%. I even like to go with symptoms more. Um, symptoms of chronic inflammation, you know, there could be a lot and they can be vague. It could be something like, you know, you have a lot of joint pain or you just have a lot of body pain or you're constantly tired. You have a lot of trouble sleeping. Um, maybe there's like depression or anxiety, mood disorders. If you're sick a lot, um, gastrointestinal conditions, um, like, um, inflammatory bowel disease, um, can indicate inflammation. Okay. So mostly things that would really involve the immune system and would have some sort of a, a, a pain or sickness or some type of um, ailment with them. Okay. So that's really good to know. Now, what are some of the things that people can do easily right now to start kind of saying, okay, this is probably making my inflammation worse. This could make it better. What are some things to pinpoint us in the right direction? Well, some things, and there are a lot of different, there are a lot of different causes of inflammation, you know, aside from just having PCOS, which we talked about the high androgens and the high levels of insulin. Um, 
there's also an alteration in the gut microbiome, which is another really interesting area of research. They're finding that people with PCOS, for whatever reason, have an altered gut microbiome, they have less diversity. So your inflammation might be coming from your gut, you know, and at this point, we there are no really good tests to say, hey, you know, I'm going to take this test and my gut microbiome is off. And so I'm going to take this probiotic to make it better. We're not there yet. There are companies out there that are doing it, but they're not super validated. So, um, so you have to kind of look and see, okay, so I probably have some inflammation going on. If I have PCOS, it may be a lot, or it may be a little. So what can I do about it? I might think first, where's my inflammation coming from? It could be coming from your diet, which we can get more into because there are anti-inflammatory diets and there are inflammatory diets. It could be coming from inadequate sleep. And this is a huge one. A lot of people don't think about that, but when you don't get enough sleep, it can worsen inflammation. Um, it could be coming from chronic stress, um, definitely causes inflammation, even circadian rhythm disruption. And these are like sneaky causes of inflammation. Like I think most people don't, don't think about oh, you know, I'm going to bed really late, I'm eating dinner really late, and that's going to cause inflammation. But it can, it can cause circadian rhythm disruption. Um, something that you could really start to do right now, though, and I like action steps. Um, I like people to keep journals of their sleep, their exercise, how they feel, their energy levels, what they're eating, um, and just start to pay attention. Like, hey, you know, I had I had a turkey sandwich for lunch on whole wheat bread and like I felt really, really tired after or I had uh, some brain fog or my stomach hurt or something. And just start to notice like, could you have some food sensitivities? Because food sensitivities are also a source of inflammation. Now, it's also a huge source of misinformation on the internet because everything <laughs> you read is like, don't have gluten, don't have dairy, don't have soy, don't have this. That's not true unless you have a food sensitivity. So you have to pay attention to your body. Um, that's, the, that's like one of the reasons why I want to write this book because the stuff that's on the internet, some of it just drives me absolutely insane. I see what it's doing to people with PCOS. It's just, I mean, I had a girl like crying on the phone with me the other day because her... Um, her doctor had told her she had to avoid all these foods she couldn't have. And this girl is like hysterical. So, you know, but we don't know they're causing a problem for her. So pay attention to your body. You may have a food sensitivity. The common ones I see would be gluten and dairy. So I'm totally open. Some people feel much better if they take it out of their diet, but do an elimination diet, like cut it out for a month or so. And I like people to do one thing at a time, kind of, um, or cut out both gluten and dairy, but then you have to add one thing in at a time. So you'll know, hey, I added in this dairy and my acne got much worse. Or um, I added in this gluten and I got a lot of brain fog and I felt achy. I have clients mm -hmm. who tell me as soon as they have gluten, their body aches. So, but it's not just gluten. It could be other things, you know, um, it could be nuts. It could be really healthy things. So you have to pay attention to food sensitivities. Um, keep your journal, like you said, to get really in tuned with your body. So you know what makes you feel good. Trust your body. Don't trust what's on the internet. Trust your body and how foods make your body feel. So that might be the first step would be the journal, paying attention to food sensitivities. Make sure you're looking at your other lifestyle habits like the sleep, the stress management. Um, start paying attention to environmental toxins and endocrine disruptors and using less plastic and less nonstick pans. 
um, that's a whole other topic we can talk about another day. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a topic that overwhelms people the most yep. Yep. because, yep. you know, I mean, when you start thinking about toxins, it's like well, everything has toxins in it. So what do I need to do? Like, should I sleep in a bubble and like be, yeah. you know, yeah. so um help us break it down a little bit. So you mentioned a lot of different contributors of inflammation, including the stress, sleep, environmental toxins, food sensitivities. If you were to work with a client, what would you tackle first? Say the person has a little bit of everything. They're not sleeping great. They're also not eating that well. And maybe their stress is not well managed. What would you say is the first thing you would tackle? I like to work in baby steps because I want you to feel like you can accomplish something. I want you to feel empowered. And if I give you a million goals, which I used to do when I first started practicing, I was like, you know, little miss dietitian. Okay, do this, this, this. <laughs> now it's like, I want to hear your story. I want to hear about your life. I want to hear about your struggles, what's working, what's not working. If you're having trouble sleeping, why? Um, so I want to hear your story. And then I want to set a couple small goals to work on because um, you cannot feel overwhelmed or you're not going to do it. So I'd have to evaluate that, that particular person and kind of see what I thought was doable to start. Um, it, and then what can we add in? So I might start with sleep if I thought that was something manageable. You know, and mm-hmm. somebody's going to bed, especially with the pandemic, I have people up. It's crazy. I have people up all night. People are up to like two watching Netflix because <laughs> we don't have to go to the office anymore. So people's schedules are all like whacked out. So I might say, okay, instead of go to bed at two, you know, go to bed at 1.30. And then the next time it might be one. I want to get you on a better sleep schedule. Um, diet, which we haven't talked about yet, but I would definitely look at their diet and start trying to add in some more anti-inflammatory foods. I like to think about more, what can we add into your diet versus don't have this and don't have that. So it's like, okay, you know, do you like salmon? Let's try and get salmon into your diet, which has a lot of omega-3s, very anti-inflammatory. Let's try and do that two times a week. Let's try and get in some avocado. Let's try and get some extra virgin olive oil you know, swap out instead of using vegetable oil, use extra virgin olive oil. So start making small changes. Um, But what I would tackle, I think, depends on the person and kind of where I think we could, you know, where they can start to make some changes kind of thing. And regarding the diet, so would you say that um, the Mediterranean diet has a pretty good pattern for reducing inflammation? Because you mentioned the healthy fats from fish and olive oil. Yeah, I like the Mediterranean diet. That's, the, and I mean, there are a lot of Mediterranean diets, so it's hard to say there's one diet. But I think we know the general premise behind it. It's like it's not a, it's not a low fat diet. It could be forty percent fat. I mean, as you know, yeah. it's like there's olive oil and there's there's it's a lot of monounsaturated fats and some polyunsaturated, but mainly omega three polyunsaturated. So which you get from the fatty fish versus omega six, which you get from vegetable oil. So it's high in those kind of foods. It's high in fiber, um, has whole grains, lots of vegetables, fruits, lots of anti-inflammatory foods. So I like that. And there's also research behind it. Like I like to look at diets that have a lot of research behind it. And the Mediterranean diet may be one of the most highly researched diets out there. So we know it decreases inflammation. So those are the pillars that you would work on fiber, the healthier fats, lots of fruits and vegetables. So a variety of produce in the diet. Yep. Um, what else? Lots what of plant-based foods. And I'm not a vegan dietitian by any means. I want people to have, you know, assuming you want it, 
but to have some meat and chicken and fish. So, but getting in a lot of plant-based foods. Um, so some beans and whole grains and, and, and nuts and seeds and all that. So I would, I would make sure people were doing that. Um, I would try and get people to add in other foods that we know are anti-inflammatory and these are like certain spices. Like we know, you know, ginger, garlic, basil, cayenne pepper, rosemary, sage, turmeric, you know, cook with that stuff. You know, it tastes good, super anti-inflammatory. Um, studies have also shown that green and black tea is rich in polyphenols and that uh, also decreases inflammation. Um, so it's adding stuff in. So that's the first thing I would look at. And then I would look and see, okay, are you eating a lot of foods that might be inflammatory, which some people are. So then we would talk about, okay, let's cut out some of, you know, the high sugar foods, the highly processed foods, um, a lot of refined or white carbohydrates, um, processed meats, and a lot of red meat in general. What I see a lot of people with PCOS doing in their fear of carbohydrates is that they're on low carb, high fat, high protein diets, but a lot of it is animal protein. And, you know, you might have like, you know, bacon and eggs and um, snacking on um, like, well, maybe not cheese because a lot of PCOS people don't do cheese, but, you know, having just not getting in fruit and, and enough nuts and stuff. So I see too much animal um, fats and animal protein. So I would encourage you to start swapping out some of that and doing more fish, um, doing some plant-based meals, maybe um, doing some organic, um, organic lean meat and um, some uh, organic hormone-free chicken. And how do you feel about plant-based protein? So you mentioned beans in terms of the, the carbohydrate content and helping women incorporate them in a balanced way. Do you find that um, women get concerned about that, about the amount of carbohydrates with using beans and legumes as a protein? You know, it, it depends on the person. It really does. And the whole thing is we have these blanket statements like you know, beans, they're full of carbs, they raise blood sugar, they raise insulin, like we don't really know that they do. Like if you were a glucose monitor, and you checked your blood sugar, and you said, Hey, when I have beans, you know, when I have a lentil soup, or when I have beans and vegetables, my blood sugar spikes, then you would know, okay, maybe it's not so good for me. But people just say, Oh, don't eat beans, you're high carb. But yeah, they have carbs, but they also have, a, they have protein, they have a ton of fiber, they have other nutrients in them, which help with insulin resistance. So I don't like these blanket statements unless you warn a, a continuous glucose monitor or you've done finger sticks and you say, yeah, beans are bad for me. I think beans are awesome, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan, unless you want to follow a plant-based diet, I'm probably not a fan of eating a meal that's full of carbs, that's just like farro and beans and it, it just like a lot of carbs, unless you know it's good for you. Like I know mm -hmm. there are some people who eat that way. They feel fantastic. It's helped them with, you know, all their issues. And that's good for you. I think for the average person, it may not be so good. I would like you to get in some salmon or, or something like that. But um, it, it, different things work for different people, basically. Yeah. And I think there is good research to support using beans specifically with PCOS and fertility. Yeah. Um, so they're actually a great source of protein. I think the fear of carbs is so deeply rooted that, you know, and especially with plans like whole 30 that totally demonizes beans. I don't really know why, but they do. Um, and unfortunately, also talk about lectins. I did a post on beans on Instagram a while ago 
And uh, a couple of people kind of attacked me and said, how can you recommend beans? They're full of lectins. I don't know. And what's wrong with that? Yeah. I mean, as long as you're cooking the beans well, you know, you're not going to eat raw beans. I just don't (laughs) have enough research to show that the lectins in beans are going to overpower the positives about beans. Yeah. I I think you can nitpick on every single food and find um, proponents and opponents of a certain food, but you really have to look at the bigger picture. And that's where I think a lot of people are missing the mark of really having tunnel vision on a certain food group or specific food. And then it just sends them down this rabbit hole that just doesn't lead anyway. It doesn't lead lead anywhere. And I even did a post yesterday on like some uber healthy snacks, like, um, like roasting chickpeas with olive oil and turmeric and like very healthy things. And people are commenting, Oh, we can't have that. It has lethicin in it. Like what? Like, <laughs> and then a lot of food scientists on social media. Right. And then right? someone else is like, yeah, we can't eat anything. It's like, you can't listen to everything that you read it just because somebody a health coach or whoever with, you know, 70,000 followers says, don't eat this. It doesn't mean it's backed by science. Go on to Google Scholar, PubMed, plug in lethicin, PCOS, see if you find some bad things. You will not, I guarantee. Yeah. I think a lot of times when people post these things or a certain meal plan or a certain type of eating, it may have worked for them. Yes. And they're, To me, that kind of shows they're not confident enough in their approach to customize it to other people. They know one thing. This is what works for me. So it must be what I preach to everyone else. That's a really dangerous place. And I think also it really causes more like a victim mentality with women with PCOS, because if you feel so restricted, there's such a special way that you need to eat. That's not good mentally. That will make you feel abnormal. Right. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, absolutely. And then you'll never be able to take charge of your piece to us because you'll always feel like you said a victim. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, I why, think that's detrimental. I mean, my, one of my mantras is, you know, there's no one PCOS and there's no one size fits all uh, treatment for PCOS, whether it's medication, supplement, food, whatever, you have to listen to your body. The same goes for exercise, you know, weaving that in for a second right here. Um, exercise can help decrease inflammation, but if you are going crazy exercising, which some people do because they might've been told you have to exercise more, you have to lose weight. So you spend your life in the gym that can make inflammation worse. Yeah. But also avoid those quizzes online that say, if you have the inflammatory type of PCOS, you can't take a spin class. Like I had a, a client come to me and she loves spin. She it made her feel good when she took it, but she took the quiz and it said she couldn't do spin. She was so upset and she stopped exercising because she didn't want to walk. The quiz told her to walk, but that's why you can't take these quizzes. Like, but listen to your body. If you take a hit class or a spin class and you feel like crap and you can't get out of bed for the rest of the day, you know, it's probably not good for you. Um, and I don't think it's good for anybody to do intense exercise six days a week. Mix it up. Add in some yoga. Yoga has actually been shown to decrease inflammation. I'm a huge proponent of yoga for PCOS for a lot of reasons, the HPA access, but also with inflammation. So, you know, add that in too. 
Yeah, I saw you got really, I'm not going to say mad, but you got pretty fired up on social media. Maybe it was a few months ago about uh, this particular topic of like, everyone with this yield should do this type of exercise only. And you're like, no, there are studies show all kinds of different exercises are good for all kinds of women. So, you know. <laughs> it, it, it drives me crazy because just because what I see the damage it does to people, I just, it's like, I'm handling, you know, what happens when those statements are made because I get them in my DMs or people contact me and people are afraid to exercise. They're afraid. Yeah. Um, you have to listen to your body. But yeah, there are many it's... times I've said to people, you cannot be working out six days a week for two hours. You can't do it. Like I will tell you if it's too much, take it down. But if a little hit class makes you feel good, it's okay. Yeah. And I think use your common sense. Yeah. We don't have it. Right. So yeah. That, yeah. that would be a good first step too. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. talk a little bit about supplements for inflammation and what are some of the ones that are known to be helpful? Yeah. I mean, I always like to do a food first approach because you can take supplements, but if you're not doing the lifestyle and food whole part of it, it's not going to do a single thing. Um, I am a fan of fish oil for many, many different reasons. Um, a good, like a high grade fish oil taking anywhere from like one to even three grams a day. Uh, that one I do recommend. It also helps PCOS in, in different in different ways as well. Um, so would you recommend that to someone who doesn't get fish, fatty fish regularly, or even if you do? Even if, you know, even if you, I mean, unless you're having fatty fish, maybe like, you know, four or five times a week, but if you're having it even once or twice a week, I might recommend you take one or two grams of fish oil a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and also turmeric or curcumin is another one. I don't use that one as much. I oftentimes encourage people to get it, you know, when they're cooking, but a lot of people don't cook with those um, spices. So you could take a supplement. Those are the two big ones I recommend really. Okay. And I'm assuming the meal plans that you sell are um, taking everything we talked about today into account as far as the inflammatory foods and using the spices and putting the meals together in a way that would help reduce inflammation. I don't really sell meal plans. I okay. said that at the beginning, I sell meal guides where I have recipes and I have like a suggestions for breakfast, lunch, dinner, then I have a snack guide. Um, but yeah, it's taking a lot of these things and it's putting them together and then people can create their own meal plans within these, these kind of guides. But yeah, oh, okay. I, like cool. when I work with a client individually, I will start with the basics and I might remove some of the inflammatory foods, add in anti-inflammatory foods, then work on adding in like the spices and just kind of up in the ante and making it be better and better and better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's helpful to also know that you don't have to love all the anti-inflammatory foods, right? You don't have to necessarily do all of them all the time. You may want to find some places in your day when you can make those swaps and just stick with that. Sometimes that's enough for a lot of women to start seeing relief. Yep. Yep. It's just making some simple swaps and not making it be a big deal because if it's a big deal, it's not going to work. Like I have a lot of clients who don't like to cook. Like I don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen living in New York, you know, I have a miniature kitchen. (laughs) So I like simple things and I might even sometimes use some convenience products, but add in more vegetables or um, add in some of these spices. So just try and make it be better. It has to be realistic. It has to be something you can do or you're not going to do it. I totally agree. All right. I think we're going to wrap up and I want us to kind of end on a positive note. Maybe if you can leave us with some thoughts about, managing inflammation and how can someone really feel like excited about the process and positive about it? 
Managing inflammation, it's not that difficult to do. And, and you have to, I think, get the vision out of your head that your body's all inflamed and, and that it's impossible. It can be really um, decreased with, with lifestyle, with diet and lifestyle. And I think it's starting with one step at a time and adding in things that you enjoy. Maybe it would be taking a walk, um, finding ways to manage your stress, you know, take a yoga class, and then looking through the list of foods that are anti-inflammatory and picking in a couple and adding them in, not being afraid of carbohydrates because a lot of the anti-inflammatory foods do contain carbs like berries. Um, so just start adding in some foods that you like, um, cutting back a little bit on the, the animal protein or a lot of processed meats, um, maybe doing like a grass fed, a lean beef, um, try and get in more fish, but looking, thinking about adding foods into your diet versus I can't have this and I can't have that because most of it's not evidence-based anyway. Yes, absolutely. Where can my listeners find out more and kind of get connected with you? So on Instagram, I am the PCOS dietitian with periods in between the words because there's lots of PCOS dietitians. <laughs> um, I have a website, Martha McKidrick Nutrition, and I have a PCOS blog on my website. And all the, the blog posts are about PCOS. I have a lot of free downloads. Um, I, have, I do have free meal plans. Um, I have a free nutrition ebook for PCOS. And then I sell um, PCOS meal guides and recipe guides and snack guides. And then also I have my seven week online course. You can also get on my website and then you can contact me for virtual coaching also through my website. Awesome. I'll be sure to link to everything in the show notes so people can easily find it. I want to thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time and I hope to talk again soon. Great. It was great chatting. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview and I've found a lot of great insights, strategies, and information in what we discussed today. For more information, please visit the show notes below so you can get all the details, links, and recommendations that were discussed today. And if you like this podcast and what you've heard today, leave a review and subscribe to the show so you never miss when new episodes are out and you also help more people find this information. I'll be here again next week with a new episode. Until then, be well. Bye for now.